This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making Veritas possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And don't forget to purchase MMS right from us. It's better to have it and not need it then need it and not have it. But it's so inexpensive. You'd be glad you did. And I mean it. If it weren't for MMS, I wouldn't have been able to conduct tonight's interview. You see, I had my home full of sick visitors throughout the holidays. But MMS saved a day. And also, it's incredible the number of people who are writing to me saying that they have used MMS and everyone else around them but them is sick. Thanks for your letters. But please understand that I cannot give you my opinion. You know why. All I can tell you is that I'm not a believer. I'm a knower about it. And it has always worked for me. You can purchase it at the Veritas store. And we ship it worldwide. And season four, or any season of the futuristic metal cased USB drive, is now available for sale. Again, just go to the Veritas store for these and all of our products. And to get in touch with me for member support, member inquiries, you want to be a guest, or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. 
usually at the beginning of the year. We have someone who specializes in connecting dots using different modalities. Well, tonight is no exception. There are about 200 futurists in the world, and tonight is one of them. Our special guest is former naval officer and military expert John L. Peterson, president and founder of the Arlington Institute, a futurist think tank. This is Thomas Fusco, author of Behind a Cosmic Veil, and you are listening to Veritas. John L. Peterson's professional involvements include long-range strategic and product planning and helping leadership design new approaches for dealing with the future. He has led national nonprofit organizations, worked in sales, manufacturing, real estate development, and marketing and advertising, mostly for companies he founded. A graduate electrical engineer, he has also promoted rock concerts, produced conventions, and even worked as a disc jockey, among other things. Mr. Peterson's government and political experience include stints at the National War College, the Institute for National Security Studies, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, and the National Security Council staff at the White House. He was a naval flight officer in the U.S. Navy and Navy Reserve, and is a decorated veteran of both the Vietnam and Persian Gulf Wars. He has served in senior positions for a number of presidential political campaigns. John Peterson is considered by numerous influential leaders to be one of the most informed futurists in the country. He is a leading futurist who writes and thinks about high-impact surprises, wildcards, that are global in scope, potentially disruptive and intrinsically out of control. In 1989, Peterson founded the Arlington Institute, a nonprofit future-oriented research institute. Arlington operates on the premise that effective thinking about the future is impossible without casting a very wide net. The think tank serves as a global agent for change by developing new concepts, processes, and tools for anticipating the future and translating that knowledge into better present-day decisions. Using advanced information technology, a core group of bright thinkers, and an international network of exceptionally curious people along with gaming events and simulations, modeling, scenario building, polling, and analysis. Arlington helps equip leaders from many disciplines with tools and perspectives on probable futures. And directly from Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, I'm privileged to welcome for the first time on Veritas, John L. Peterson. Hello, Mr. Peterson, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Well, hi, Mel. It's nice to be with you today. My pleasure. And may I call you John? That's my name. Yeah, absolutely. Great. All right. <laughs> and I had to read that whole bio, John, because it's so comprehensive, and I want people to know right from the get-go who you are. And just to give the listeners a little bit, a bit of a background, recently you and I attended uh, The Gathering, a, a, a special uh, conference in Pennsylvania, and coincidentally, I was sitting at your table with uh, one of the guests I invited to the conference, Dr. Paul LaViolette. And you and, and Paul were discussing a lot. And I want to discuss some of the things you talked about because it, it leads with a lot of your, if you're, of your futurist endeavors. But again, what is the Arlington Institute? Well, I'm a futurist. And uh, the thing that's different about what I do compared to what most futurists do, and by the way, there's only about a couple hundred kind of professional futurists in the world, 
But I, um, most futurists are specialists, and they look at technology or economics or the healthcare or whatever it turns out to be, who they work for, and what the interests are of that company or that organization. In my case, I'm interested in the world and where the whole world and humanity and things are going. And the Arlington Institute is a nonprofit that I set this institution uh, that I set up to, in fact, kind of pursue those kind of interests. And so what we've done uh, is uh, a, a whole variety of different projects for lots of different kinds of clients that are all, in one way or, in, or another, related to looking at, at kind of the basic structural nature of how you think about the future uh, and and then more so uh, what what kind of alternative futures might be emerging and where is humanity going and where is the world going at this period of time. Some futurists, and I remember in the 80s and 90s reading uh, John Nesbitt's uh, Megatrends, uh, f- you know, future books, and, 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 and basically he was focusing on the economy per se. But you look at the entire world, the whole world. How does your futurist endeavors uh, differ from other futurists? Oh, well, you, you touched on it there. It's... I like to say, and what we like to do is is think of ourselves as number one systems thinkers, but we think about it as a whole system because if you narrowly focus on technology or, or the economy or geopolitics or some other kind of thing, and you're not considering in this example, for instance, the possibility of rapid climate change, which would just blow every one of those other things out of the water if it happened in a hurry, then, then you're setting yourself up to be surprised. And so what we do is we look at whole systems. And then more than that, what what I try to do is uh, try to get out of the box more so than a lot of uh, futurists do. Uh, I I think, uh, and we can talk about this if you'd like to, but I think that we're on the edge of a a broad-based exponential change in just about every discipline or every vector or every sector that you know of is going through extraordinary kind of uh, testing and and transition. And some of them aren't going to make it, I don't think. Structurally, it's impossible to see how they can sustain themselves. But in any case, what you've got is is change across the horizon in almost every sector, and it's exponential. And when it's exponential, it means that it's just moving faster than you've ever seen it happen before. And what that means is that there's nobody alive who's ever lived in the space where this is going. There are no analogs in, uh, for, uh, uh, there are no tools. There's nobody alive who has gone through, you know, six times the change in three years that you had in the last uh, hundred years or something like that. I mean, the numbers literally are, if you quote, Ray Kurzweil, he says you'll see a thousand times the technological change in uh, twenty uh, in the year two thousand in this in this century than you did in the whole last century. Well, you, you, neither you nor I can make any sense out of that. I mean, that a thousand times it, in the last century we went from from uh, automobiles, the first automobiles and the first airplanes, and we went to the moon and we got an internet. We've got all of this amazing kind of transit. And, and if you multiply that times a thousand, well, it, it turns out if you parse it down to 
for eight times or nine times all of the change of the last century in the next 10 years. And so what you have is you have extraordinary, unprecedented kind of change. And the only way you make sense out of that, for, for my money, is to really start to get out of the box because science and all of the conventional kind of approaches and the disciplines are all based upon the past. And this future is not not an extrapolation of the past. And so that's the thing that makes it different from what we do. And, and I'm particularly interested in kind of surprises, things that are big events that kind of show up and nobody's ever anticipated them before. And that's what got us into working for the government of Singapore and, and, and some other folks. This is why your work is so fascinating, because we live in a conventional world and if we, in an unconventional world, uh, rather, if that's the case, how can we seek conventional advice from the so-called experts in this conventional world if things are changing so rapidly? As you say, let's, go, let's look back at the last 100 years. I mean, the leaps that we made last year, as you said, the airplane, the car, going to the moon. And uh, you also mentioned Ray Kurzweil. He wrote, Singularity is Near. I always mention this all the time, John. Transhumanism, singularity, the merger between biology and computer. Do you see that in the future? Well, it, certainly to some extent. As many of us are cyborgs all, already, we're carrying around looking through glasses or some technology augments our biological and physical capabilities. And so, and uh, you've got uh, stereolithography now that's doing 3D printing of body parts and organs and such. And so the merger between the technology and, mach and machines, kind of in, in raised terms, and, uh, and humans is certainly, it's certainly in root. I mean, it's, it's happening. So sure, it's in, in general, it's happening. The question in my mind, though, is whether Ray's got it right in terms of anticipating that there's going to be nanobots running around in your brain and re and communicating and telling uh, have the structure of your brain. And I mean, that presumes a mechanical uh, Cartesian industrial almost uh, uh, understanding of, of how the, how the brain functions. And, and by the way, to use that example uh, that the, that the brain is a, that the mind is essentially derivative of the brain is a function of the brain. I, I ha happen to think that it's the other way around, that the brain, if you will, uh, is, a, is a byproduct of the mind, and that consciousness, in fact, is causal and causes the reality that we all have, and, and that's the difference. And so if you extrapolate from that uh, science, uh, philosophy of science position, uh, where uh, into into the future you get what race what race talking about is the possibility of transhumans and all of those kinds of things. What Ray just discounts, if if you want to stay in this space a little bit, what Ray discounts among other things is spiritual and consciousness raising and the possibility that there are other dimensions and that there's life exists. And in, 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 in a far broader kind of spectrum than the, the history in the three dimensional space that most of us spend our time in. And so, but the, uh, my experience is that, that the reality is a lot bigger than the narrow 
scientific, conventional scientific paradigm. And uh, that, and what, and Ray, Ray clearly operates in the, in the scientific and technological paradigm. If you ask him what the social implications might be of some of the things that he proposes, he, he literally raises his hand. I introduced him in Washington, D.C. I mean, he's a friend of mine. I introduced him in Washington when his film was here, uh, when his film was uh, coming out uh, and touring around the country. And, and when somebody asks him, well, what do you think the social implications are? He throws his hands up and essentially says, uh, that's not my job. You know, that I, I'm, I'm in technology. Well, that's not a system. <laughs> that's not a system's perspective. Uh, the system happens to include human beings who have uh, concerns and values, and they change their behavior based upon uh, any number of things. And, uh, and and if you're not factoring that into all of this, then you know, then you've only got a, pic- a, a sliver of the picture. And so uh, that will give you a sense of how I look at these things differently than than a lot of other futurists. When I was sitting up. At your table, and, and you were speaking with our friend, Dr. Paul LaViolette, the first thing that came to mind was, I wonder if they're discussing the Carrington event. As you probably know, in 1859, we had the, that, uh, the massive CME, the coronal mass ejection or solar flare hit us. And we didn't have electricity the way we have it now, although telegraphs suffered at the time. We live in what I call a reactionary world, John, instead of a proactive world. We seem to not have learned from the past because we have gone through this in at certain intervals in the past. What are we doing today and why are we not doing more? We're not doing enough to attack those problems that more than likely will happen again. Well, it's a, it's a good question. Well, we're not, we're not prepared to prepare for it. Uh, that is to say... And, and this is a very interesting uh, thing because we have all grown up and become familiar with uh, dealing with uh, essentially evolutionary change, with 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 uh, incremental change, uh, all uh, things that you can plan for. All strategic planning is about trying to say to kind of do an extrapolation more or less of what it's been in the past into another space. We're all familiar of the, with the charts that, uh, you know, that show three different projections, a, a big one and a middle-sized one and a small one, you know, and they're all projections from the past. Nobody, nobody shows you a chart like that that goes out and then just changes direction radically, goes up or down or falls off the chart or something because rapid change or surprises or even exponential change are not in the are not our past experience, and so we don't know how to do that. And it's a little bit, yeah. It, it and what humanity is at the place. First of all, I think we're at, at an evolutionary jump in for the species. We're literally in a place, and you can build this going all the way back to single cellular life and multiple cellular life and vertebrates and mammals and when all of those transitions happen and there is a regular progression of when these big jumps happen and we are right at one right now. And so if, if history is any kind of analog for what's going, uh, for what the future might be, then 
we we are at a place where we're at an evolutionary jump for the species and what the species is is thank you for listening to unlock the full two-hour interview including video formats downloads transcripts exclusive articles and more subscribe to veritas plus now gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008 just click subscribe at veritasradio.com because you don't want to believe you want to know subscribe now to listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material proceed to the veritas plus member section or join the veritas plus family by subscribing click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com don't forget to visit the veritas store for focused life force energy get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required and if you want to get in touch with mel want to be a guest on this radio program have a guest suggestion or have feedback just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com now proceed to the veritas plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview you don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe you want to know What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.